Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, just as you sent your messengers to meet those who went to the tomb on the first Easter morning, so we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to be among us now. May it open our hearts to hear your word, to hear this story afresh today. And may the Spirit plant seeds of hope deep in our souls. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up. And ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In her newest book, Atlas of the Heart, sociologist Brene Brown helps us to better understand the subtle nuances of our emotions. After years of extensive research, Brown and her team have identified 87 emotions and experiences that meet three specific criteria. First, they emerge most often in a typical person's life. Second, most of us struggle to name or to label them. And third, naming them is essential in being able to process and heal. Rather than using her book to simply define and go through these 87 emotions one by one, Brown organizes them into groups that reflect our lived experiences. The book, which is meant to be a kind of map, an atlas of sorts, has chapters titled, Places We Go When Things Are Uncertain or too much. That chapter covers emotions like stress, overwhelm, anxiety, and fear. Places we go when things don't go as planned. This covers disappointment, regret, discouragement, and resignation. 
And then there is the chapter titled, Places We Go When It's Beyond Us. Awe, wonder, confusion, curiosity, interest, surprise. The women who went to the tomb on that first Easter morning thought they knew where they were going. They thought they knew what to expect. After all, there had been a death, and they knew plenty about death. When someone died, there was grief, of course, but there was also always work to be done. The work of tending to a body, of anointing it with spices and oil to hide the scent of decay. It was difficult work, but they had done it before. And the work gave them a way to process their grief, a way to bring closure to the horrible and unjust death of Jesus, their beloved teacher and friend. But when they get to the tomb, things do not go as planned. The stone that sealed the tomb had been pushed aside, and Jesus' body is gone. The tomb is empty. We can imagine the women felt a sense of disappointment and discouragement. They wouldn't be able to do what they had set out to do. Not only had Jesus been unjustly condemned and executed, but now, to add insult to injury, his body apparently has been stolen. Now there is more grief to process, more sadness to feel. But before the women can figure out what to do next, two men in dazzling clothes appear out of nowhere and announce that Jesus has risen from the dead. Can you imagine hearing such good news when you are in such a difficult place? This is surely the moment when these women arrive at what Brene Brown describes as the place we go when something is beyond us, awe, wonder, confusion, curiosity, interest, and surprise. All of these emotions leave the women utterly perplexed, grappling with the angel's strange question, why do you look for the living among the dead? The answer, of course, is they weren't looking for the living. Jesus had died. They're looking for his body in the place where dead bodies are laid to rest. They came to the tomb to do the work of death. And instead, they are invited to do the work of life, the work of remembering all Jesus had told them about his life and death and resurrection. It's Easter, this day when we gather to celebrate and proclaim Christ is risen. That's your part. (laughs) But I suspect many of us have come to this place today in the same way the women came to the tomb, thinking we know what to expect, searching for a sense of purpose, longing for resolution, for the grief and fears we carry. We think we know why we're here. And yet we're also here today because we carry within us a seed of hope, even though it may be buried deep beneath the surface under layers of cynicism and doubt and fear. We are here because we have 
hope. Hope that this year, this Easter, in this place, we might find something unexpected, something wonderful and surprising. We may think we know what to expect on Easter, but if we're honest, we are craving the disruption only hope can provide. That's why we come back year after year. It's why we get ourselves to church on this day above all other days. That hope that in the midst of everything that is wrong, we might experience something deeply, truly right. Hope that we might just find the living among what we thought was dead. In her poem, The Miracle of Morning, morning as in time of day, Amanda Gorman writes, I thought I'd awaken to a world in mourning, heavy clouds crowding, a society storming, but there's something different on this golden morning, something magical in the sunlight, wide and warming. I see a dad with a stroller taking a jog. Across the street, a bright-eyed girl chases her dog. A grandma on a porch fingers her rosaries. She grins as her young neighbor brings her groceries. While we might feel small, separate, and all alone, our people have never been more closely tethered. The question isn't if we will weather this unknown, but how We will weather this unknown together. When the angels appeared to the women at the tomb, they invite them to do one thing. Remember. Remember what Jesus told you. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what he promised. And when the women did remember, as if waking up from a dream They had to go and tell the others what they had discovered. They had to share the news that the tomb was empty and remind the others who were lost in grief and despair what Jesus had told him, that he would be betrayed and crucified and that God would raise him from the dead. The women realized they didn't need to do the work of death. They needed to do the work of life the work of remembering and helping others remember the good news that Christ is alive. He is risen indeed. The women had to become the living among the dead. You don't need me to tell you that signs of death are all around us, All we have to do is turn on the news, scroll through the feed, talk to a loved one. It seems that everyone is struggling. We voice our frustrations over what is not working in our lives at home, at work, at school, at church. And beneath those frustrations, what we are saying is, I am dying over here. I'm tired, I'm sad, I'm lonely, I am angry. And we are. We are all those things, and we have good reason to be. We are emerging from two years of a pandemic that has killed a million of our fellow citizens and disproportionately affected those in poverty. 
our young people are suffering a mental health crisis of epic proportions. Refugees around the world are seeking shelter and asylum from violence, poverty, and a lack of opportunity. It is 2022, and war is raging. Can we really be expected to be the living among the dead? To proclaim life and hope in the midst of all this death and despair? Can we afford not to be? When her husband, Drew, who was a Maine state trooper, died suddenly one day in the line of duty, Kate Braystrip received the news in the living room of the home where she and her husband were raising their four young children. Forty minutes after hearing she was now a widow, Kate sat in shock with her close friend, Monica. Then the doorbell rang. When Kate answered it, there stood her neighbor, a woman with whom she had exchanged no more than a dozen words in ten years. The neighbor had potholders on her hands, and she held a pan of warm brownies. Tears were rolling down her cheeks. I just heard the news, she said. Kate writes, that pan of brownies was, it later turned out, the leading edge of a tsunami of food that came to my children and me, a wave that did not recede for many months after Drew's death. I didn't know that my family and I would be fed three meals a day for weeks and weeks. I did not anticipate that neighborhood men would come to drywall the playroom, build bookshelves, mow the lawn, get the oil changed in my car. I did not know that my house would be cleaned and the laundry done, that I would have embraces and listening ears, that I would not be abandoned to do the labor of mourning alone. All I knew was that my neighbor was standing on the front stoop with her brownies and her tears. She was the good news. For us to be the living among the dead means showing up in the places of death. It means doing the labor of mourning and accompanying those who mourn, whether with brownies or flowers, oil changes, or with the simple but profound gift of our presence. For us to be the living among the dead also means remembering. Remembering that Jesus never promised us an easy journey with a smooth path and clear directions. Instead, Jesus has invited us to follow him into the places of death and despair and to proclaim the promise of the resurrection there to announce in the face of despair that life and love are stronger than death. In her poem, Sometimes, Mary Oliver writes, Instructions for Living a Life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. These instructions for life are also instructions for being the living among the dead. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. 
even though the women who came to the tomb that Easter did all these things, it wasn't a magical remedy. They proclaimed the resurrection to the grieving disciples, and at first, the disciples don't even believe them. It seemed to them an idle tale, a ridiculous claim. And yet, something about what they say gets under Peter's skin, and he has to go to the tomb to see for himself. That might be the best we can do as we seek to be the living among the dead, to offer to those who can scarcely believe it a glimmer of possibility, to plant a seed of hope. Hope is no idle tale, after all. As the writer Nick Cave reflects, hopefulness is hard-earned. It makes demands upon us and can feel like the most indefensible and lonely place on earth. Hopefulness is not a neutral position either. It is adversarial. It is the warrior emotion that can lay waste to cynicism. Each redemptive or loving act of hope says the world and its inhabitants have value and are worth defending. Hope says the world is worth believing in. The women left the tomb perplexed. They did not understand what it all meant. They were still grief-stricken and overwhelmed by loss. But even in their confusion and uncertainty, they shared the good news. And so can we. Even in our weariness and confusion, we can be the living among the dead, the ones who remember, the ones who invite others to remember that Jesus is not in the tomb. He is also not in the church. He is alive. He has gone before us to prepare a way for us. Christ is out in the world, offering love and hope in the face of death and despair, and he invites us to join him there. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Remember, Christ is risen today and every day. This is no idle tale. It is the seed of hope God has invited us to share with the world. Christ is risen. Alleluia and amen.